Hello, and welcome to Stationary Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined as always by Stu Lennon, my friend and co-host. Hey, Stu, how's Cypress Station this morning? At Cypress Station at this evening for me is uh, is in fabulous form. We've we've had a lot of rain, Justin. It's been a bit of a shock to the system, <laughs> um, but. Um, all is well now. It's a, it's a fine evening. How about Canada? Let, let me guess. It's freezing cold and you've got loads of snow. You, you know what? It actually broke zero yesterday. We we had <gasps> the start of a melt, but it's going to take a while. Froze again overnight, but uh, yeah, it, it, it shrunk, you know, maybe an inch. The piles of snow are going slowly. And there's water everywhere because, well, runoff and snow and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's, it, 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 it is almost... A balmy uh, zero degrees. I was out this morning. I didn't even have to zip up my winter jacket all the way to the top. Shorts next week. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, though, I've realized that Coco uh, likes to stand and sniff and explore. And when it was, you know, minus 20 some, she was happy just to go out, drop, squat, do her business, and then run back in. Now she picks a little bit more coaxing to get back in. So my, my standing outside watching the dog gets more and more extended every day as it gets warmer. I guess that's a hard trade-off, though. I'll take it. For sure. Cool. Any follow-ups, Stu? Uh, well, uh, this is episode 42. So uh, s- several listeners, I'm hoping, many listeners perhaps, will know that 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life the universe, and everything. Ah. So no pressure at all, Justin. Mm. But the question is, what is the question? I haven't uh, read uh, Douglas Adams in a few years. Um, I'll go back and do that at some point. I, I was just leaving you a, a pause stuffed full of possibility there. Well, the, wasn't it that the whole thing was they built the supercomputer of the earth to come up with the an answer and then they didn't Correct. actually know what the question to it was correct <laughs> it, it took i think it was five million years to come up with the answer 42 wow yeah that takes me takes me back a few years when i was uh big i did it i think like everybody i did a big douglas adams kick at one point read them all but uh now I'm curious, actually. I think I have them. I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I think I have those books, too. All right, 42. Always worth a reread. Nothing, nothing exciting for us to talk about. Hmm. All right, what's your tool of the week? This one looks interesting. Uh, well, it's, um, I, I think I teased this last week. Uh, it's my slow watch, um, which isn't particularly slow. There will be a, a link in show notes, which is probably going to be far more... <laughs> Um, illuminating my explanation. It's a watch with one hand, and it has 24-hour markers mm-hmm. on it. So um, I suppose if you're looking at the face of the watch, the top half is the day. So if you're at due west, that would be 0600, and due east would be 1800. So due north is 1,200, and due south is 0,000, Zulu. So the watch is not very good at telling the time. That's one thing I would say. Mm-hmm. So if, if you ask me the time, 
I can get you to within probably five or 10 minutes. So I have little sort of quarter markers. So I might be able to look at my watch now and go, okay, it is somewhere past the first quarter marker, but not at the second one. So I'm going to guess it's about 20 past, give or take. This is further compounded by the fact that it's quite small and my eyesight is progressively worse. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's not the most practical of watches, but I'm wearing it instead of my Apple Watch. And I suppose that's the real move here, is that I'm, I'm throwing off the tyranny of the tech. <laughs> and there's, yesterday was the last day of my 400 and something day exercise streak. Oh no. So all sorts of rings and everything will, will now be, I assume that the, the watch is in a drawer somewhere. I assume it's now crying out going, why have you abandoned me? Hmm. Um, and there's probably some Apple protocol being put into place where my computer is probably going to leap out and punch me in a minute or something. I don't know. Um, actually, won't it go into uh, Stu died mode and, uh, you know, your next of kin will be notified that your account is free? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows, Justin? It would come as no great surprise to me. Ah, oh, Stu stopped exercising. That's it. He must be dead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, the only thing that I was really using it for, I think, constructively was um, the sort of exercise and just making sure that I was, uh, you know, getting enough enough exercise done but it occurred to me that i kind of know that already mm -hmm. so um you know i i know now after a couple of years i know the waypoints on my walks so i know how far a kilometer is and i know how far two kilometers and i i'm measuring or sorry what am i doing i'm habit tracking in my journal just a couple of habits mm -hmm. um and so it was all a bit of a duplication mm. Uh, and I just thought, you know what, it's, it's time to, to simplify a little bit. So mm. off goes the, the Apple watch and on goes this sort of anti watch. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I bought this when I retired or when I thought I'd retired anyway, um, on the basis that, you know, why would I want to know the exact time? And there you are. It's a very interesting idea. Yeah. I think you guys have to see this. I've never. Uh, notice this or come across this before in my uh my watch collecting era it's it's different it's very interesting i'm not sure that i would actually bother putting on a watch that didn't give me the exact time though i kind of i'm, I'm trying to get around that in my mind but it's it's cool <laughs> well i i have to be honest justin and say i have no use for the exact time i live in the mediterranean ah yes so I'm going to meet you at seven means that I'm going to meet you at some time after 7.30. That's ah, generally so how it works. A little bit better than the Caribbean then. We did some work down there and everything from the local laborers was uh, manana, 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 tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So uh, nothing got done today. Everything was going to come on this mythical tomorrow that never came. It was uh, quite challenging to a project manager. Well, <laughs> to be honest, I'll, I'll give you an example that, that I suppose could be follow-up as well. We spoke last week, and I was expecting my oven to be collected on Friday. 
Ah, yes, you were that you were going to get a call in the morning telling you what time. That was it. Normal services had been resumed, but I think Stavrula, bless her, um, when she promised me a call on Friday, it had slipped her mind that Thursday was a national holiday, uh, the Epiphany, ah, uh, and nobody was working on Friday. So on Friday, nothing happened. Hmm. Um, but then on Saturday, while I was out. A fellow came along and took my oven. Oh, lovely. <laughs> um, and and Mrs. L was was trying to persuade him to sort of witness the thing shorting the house. And he went, no, 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 it's fine. I'm taking it. So, of course, what will happen, one imagines, is that it will get tested and there will be, you know, a telephone call that says, well, it's, it's absolutely fine. And I'll go, great. If you can make it absolutely fine in my house, then we're, we're in business. However... <laughs> You will need to evidence that over a period of days, but uh, yeah, they haven't uh, they haven't called, so <laughs> I don't, really don't know what's happening. And it's well, we're coming up to the anniversary, a week anniversary of it disappearing. <laughs> you know, something will happen eventually. Mediterranean time, right? Yeah, when it happens. Hey, speaking of uh, Mediterranean time, did you get the beast back? Uh, the beast is back, yes, and um, uh, I, as far as we can work out. Um, everything is fixed. The There is an advisory, which is BMW's way of uh, just guaranteeing itself some revenue going forward, that next time they see the car, they're going to change. I can't remember what it is. Something to do with the, the steering, uh, the front steering rails, rods, maybe. I don't know. Um, but uh, about 800 euros worth. So what's that? Just over $1,000 US. Uh, they've got that already banked for the next service. Um, Not a bad job if you can get it, eh? Yeah, everything seems to be working. And most importantly, Mrs. L is happy. So there That's we good. go. And there was your uh, next Mac Pro budget gone. And a set of tires. <laughs> yes. And a steering yes. bushings. <laughs> Indeed. Look, listen, it may be the perfect time to have moved to digital minimalism. Clearly, Clearly, I knew something was afoot. Mm -hmm. Now, what about you? What is your tool of the week, young man? Mine is actually contextual computing, oh. which sounds really fancy. What it really means was I took my laptop and I worked on a different desk. So I was working on some legal stuff this week that was wordy word stuff, uh, writing some documents and responding and yada, yada, yada. What I did was, you know, working on this beautiful, big, expensive, stupidly priced monitor that I have, it's great, but there's so much stuff that you have a temptation to throw different things up on the screen. I took my tiny little laptop, my 13-inch MacBook Pro, to my analog desk and did a combination of printed some stuff out and edited some stuff, made some notes, and then did the edits on this tiny little screen. And I forgot how lovely that actually is. It's a bit iPad-esque in the fact that one app just perfectly fills a screen and stops distractions. You don't have anything else. Even if you've got anything else open, you don't look at it because, well, you just have that one app on the whole screen. Whereas, you know, if you're sitting at a big 32-inch 6K monitor, one tends to fill up every little corner with something. And I found it just really, really lovely. I found it productive. I found it 
focusing and it was something that I thought, geez, I, I don't know why I don't do this more often than I actually do. Probably because of the fact that I feel that I have to sit in front of this big, silly, overpriced screen that I have. The monster. But uh, yeah, it was just a really, really nice change and ideal for a context of computing, a context of workflow that was different than I normally do. So yeah. um, if anybody is looking at productivity, sometimes struggling a little bit, you know, you, a, a, something just gets harder and harder to do. If you have that option, you know, maybe it's taking it to a kitchen table, which I know Stu does sometimes. Um, just consider moving your place of work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you've 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 created uh, my exact working environment. So I record and do sort of digital type things uh, here at I call it my standing desk, my standing shelf, <laughs> where my Mac Mini is set up, uh, and my analog desk next to it. There is my macbook air and when i'm writing uh, i will often just pull up the macbook air and sit at that desk and just type away for you know for one app work it's as you say it's brilliant and from my point of view uh, it doesn't block my view so i can sort of gaze out to nature without a big screen getting in the way mm, yeah i i do have to sort of rotate my head and twist it uh, you know 12 inches over to the, to the right in order to actually see the mountain outside, but that's okay. I still, I still love my, my silly monitor, but sometimes <laughs> it's just nice to have something different. Yeah. Why not? A change is as good as a rest. Uh, this is true. All right. Speaking of resting, what are you writing with this week? Uh, what am I writing with? Well, I'm, um, I'm in a Lamy. So I pulled out the Lamy studio which is a relatively new pen to me. Um, I, I bought myself one when we took on a line of Lamy for uh, Nero's Notes. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is in Imperial Blue, uh, which is very nice. It's a very um, elegant pen. Uh, so medium nib. Uh, and I put in a red cartridge. Lovely. Uh, which is it's, it's quite pinky. The Lamy, Lamy red is quite pink. Um, and, well... I'm undecided. It's got a metal grip section. I was going to ask about that. Which is very smooth. Um, and I've got a feeling that were I writing sort of longhand for a long time, that might be problematic. Mm -hmm. But um, it's such a nice pen. It's quite a pleasure to use it. It's winter in Cyprus. You're not sweating or anything. Summer, this would be a no-go. Uh, that's a very good point, yes. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it the most. It's like a pleasant change, a little steel nib pen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's uh, cheap and cheerful would be unfair. It's not that cheap, I don't think. But uh, it's it's not a big sort of investment pen. It's just a really nice workday pen. Yeah, very nice. I've got a couple of these, actually. The nibs, uh, you can switch them with any of the standard Lamy Safari nibs. Yeah. They just uh, slide off with a bit of tape. If you can't grab it off and you can just switch them really, really quickly and easily. So mm. it gives you a lot of flexibility for it. They have some lovely colors. It's a nicely balanced pen. It's a metal, I think it's a brass pen if I remember, uh, but it is a metal pen and it's actually got a nice weight to it. Um, so yeah, I, I love that pen too. Good choice too. Cool. And what about you? What are you writing with? All right. This is one that you probably have never seen before. It's by Heinz Pen Company. What, the people that make baked beans? 
that pretty much yes um no this is a small pen maker out of the states okay he does uh, sort of custom acrylic stuff this is an acrylic pen that has well it's rather lovely it's called the empyrean which is it kind of looks like the sky it's a sparkly light blue and white with a little bit of orange in there it, it's really a lovely color uh, the nib on it uh, heinz pens does this weird thing of coloring the nibs they do some sort of process on it and i don't know if you've been listening to pen addict uh, over the last month indeed the estabrook pen the pink one that came out with the pink nib the pink nib is actually from heinz pen okay all right that makes sense uh, so uh, this is a 1.1 stub with a blue nib which is kind of interesting to write with it's it's a it's a fine pen i mean it's a steel nib it's an acrylic it's you know standard maker fair i kind of like the shape i love the color on it the writing experience well you know it's it's good it's fine yeah i was gonna say it's um it's fine yeah that's the great disappointment with and you know it's perfectly understandable but with all these sort of bespoke pen makers um you get these really interesting designs and lovely craftsmanship and you know interesting colors i'm looking at your your blog post now and i mean it's a it's a really striking pen and then you get to the nib and go oh <laughs> oh it's one of those not, not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm sure it writes perfectly well. She said, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. Uh, I have a Faber-Castell turquoise cartridge in there. Uh, the one problem with this pen, well, one of the many problems, uh, but the main, the main problem that annoys me is it's hand-turned, and it doesn't actually fit a converter oh. or any of the converters that I have for it. So mm. um, they leak. And that is not something you want to deal with. So it is uh, something that, I mean, I can, I've got a syringe. I can fill up a, a standard cartridge with any ink that I want. But sure. Man, <laughs> is that just a pain in the butt to Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're getting to, hmm, this is becoming an obsession more than a hobby <laughs> at that point. Yeah. For a fine writing experience, you know. So yeah, uh, this, uh, what, what's in my little box of uh, colors here and, oh, look, Faber-Castell put that in and away we go but yeah i i'm quite enjoying something a little sparkly you know i've my my, my writing instruments are a little well they're, they're they're monocolored so i wanted something just to give it a little bit of pizzazz lovely mm. all right Stu, i got a question for you okay talk to me about obsidian because you mentioned it last week that you're doing some really, really neat things with Obsidian and book notes. And we talked about Obsidian hmm, a couple of months ago, three months ago, maybe. And one of the problems I have is I haven't found a use case for it. I went through and dumped everything in it and well, nothing linked. And well, I didn't have this special map of content <laughs> and I, I just really still haven't found a compelling use case for linked notes. Because partially because my notes, I think, are in different buckets. I even went as far as setting up a separate blank uh, Obsidian database, and I, I just, I just, it hasn't clicked with me as much as I would like it to. I like the concept, 
The execution, though, is not quite gelling with me. Mm -hmm. And I know you have gone deep onto Obsidian. Well, gone deep is overstating it. But yeah, I mean, I have found a use case or two. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about it before you were going to use it for research for a book. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would be an ideal place to do it. So I really want to talk to you and find out how you know, several months later, you're using this, what works for you, what limitations you're seeing, and, you know, see if you can convince me to give it another shot. Sure. Okay. Well, let me try. And I suppose I sat down and thought, right, what am I going to talk about with Obsidian? How am I going to describe Obsidian? Mm -hmm. And I came up with the perfect answer in that, well, it's just a space. Mm -hmm. There's actually, when you get down to it, Nothing particularly magical about the space. And that is what really appeals to me about it. The files that I make, so the notes that I take, are, at the end of the day, markdown files, plain text files. Tiny little things that are incredibly portable. And that's something that's important to me, because once you get to Justin and I's age, you will have gone through several different iterations of note makers and note takers and storage systems. My first computer, I was talking about this the other day, had a black screen and green characters on it. Um, <laughs> and, and none of those, actually, that wasn't my first, that would have been my fourth, but none of those files would open on any machine that I own now. Oh, come on. You must have had a pirated copy of WordPerfect 5.0 somewhere. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure I did. But when I was writing a uh, dissertation, it was on a um, an Amstrad word processor. Oh, wow. Which used its own proprietary formats. And, uh, I shudder. To, I mean, A, I'm not sure I can find the floppy disks. Look it up. Um, and B, I would have no idea how to get them onto a, a modern computing platform. But plain text files, if anything is going to last forever, it will be they because they're very, very straightforward. And you can edit them with, you know, uh, what do they call it? Text, text, text mates, text file. Mm -hmm. There's, there's built-in applications on all platforms that can manage and edit a text file. So that was the first thing that appealed to me about it was this sort of portability that mm -hmm. my, my files aren't going into some sort of Evernote-esque type um, sort of walled garden. The one thing I would say is Justin and I both went through um, an introductory course, which if you want to get the basics of Obsidian, then uh, the Suite Setup Runner course. There's Justin will put a... a a link in show notes, which is an affiliate link. Ooh. So um, should you click it, Justin and I will be, I'd say, multi-millionaires by tea time. But it is a really good course. Mm -hmm. um, it's by Mike Schmitz, um, helped by... Uh, Nick Milo. Nick Milo, well-remembered. And it's the two of them talking about how Obsidian works. And it's, it's, a, it's a good little overview, I think. What I do is fairly limited. So I'll take you through a couple of, a couple of my sort of use cases. One is book notes. Mm -hmm. And this isn't really an Obsidian feature, to be fair. This is a uh, feature of a thing called Readwise. So Readwise is a web service. Uh, there's also an iOS app. 
that takes your Kindle highlights and presents them back to you, if you like. So every morning I get an email from Readwise with a selection of highlights, of my highlights, things that I have highlighted within my Kindle. Now, you can highlight other things, like Twitter, apparently, Twitter threads. <laughs> uh, That's what everybody wants to store forever. <laughs> well, I'm just, I, I must be using the wrong Twitter, I think. But th- there's a range of things that you can, you can preserve for eternity. And essentially, Readwise puts them into a database and then represents them to you as an email. And this is all part of repetition learning. So, you know, if you've got a fabulous quote from 4,000 Weeks, let's say a book that Justin and I have both been reading or what we talked about earlier, how to read a book, very stern book from the 1940s. Um, if you highlight something, then it gets represented to you. And then in a few weeks, it'll get represented again. And there's all sorts of stuff you can do. It's, it's a really nice little app. One of the features is that it will drop these highlights for you into a number of places. You've got lots of choices, one of them being Obsidian. So whenever I read, uh, I highlight passages that, you know, struck me or that I think, oh, I agree with that, or, oh, that's nonsense. And I do this in the hope that I will revisit these quotes and and they will spark ideas and that I will consider what they mean and, and what they mean to me. These automatically appear in a folder in Readwise, alphabetically listed by book. So there's an alphabetical list of the books that I've read recently, <laughs> since I started using Readwise, uh, with all the highlights in. So each book is a note, and then there might be 10, there might be 20, there might be 30 highlights in there. Molecular good notes. Yeah. So I go into these and write notes on my notes. So that's all I do is that I look and I'll look at the quote and I'll say, okay, so why why did I highlight that? And sometimes the answer is, I've no idea. I'll delete it. (laughs) Um, There are other times where I go, oh yeah, okay, yeah. mm, That that really, and I will write an opinion on it. And this is going back to um, what you were talking about earlier, the map of content. Map of content, yes. I'll just look at that and go, okay, yeah, I agree with this and I've seen this and whatever it might be. And if there's a link, then I will add a link. Now, by there's a link, um, what was I reading the other day? I was oh, I was reading something in a book about Cyprus that spoke about a particular event that is covered in another book. And so I have now put a link to that quote back to the other book. Not rocket science, I know. But I'm planning on using information from both books to give me background information on, a, on an anecdote that's going to form part of my novel. Mm. These little links have a purpose for me in this, in this sort of area. Mm. That brings me to my, my second thing. That's what I, I do second, is that I make notes and I make links organically. I don't try to link notes, if you see what I mean. <laughs> I don't sort of sit there and go, right, I need to link this to something, right. which I think a lot of people do. So you're, you're organically creating these. You're not starting from a map of content 
and then developing your ideas from there. You're writing the notes and seeing what links out of them organically. Yeah, because I, um, I like you, I initially took a whole bunch of notes and put them into Obsidian mm. and then went, right, now how do I link all this? And and just essentially sat there, sort of looking confused. So I have a I have a folder called Cypress. <laughs> okay. Now the first thing I would say is that you don't need to use folders in Obsidian. If you're of the generation beyond Justin and I, you probably don't know what folders are. Search or find everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Justin and I have a deep uh, mistrust of, of search, having having been screwed by it well, for most of our young lives. <laughs> so um, our our sort of organization systems will mirror the analog system. You know, it, it's a filing cabinet, effectively. So we have a folder, and within that folder, we have uh, subfolders, and within those subfolders, we might have notes. Oh, are you looking at my computer screen, Stu? Because <laughs> I've, I've got my Obsidian pulled up while we're talking about it. And oh, yes, that is that is exactly what I've done. Yeah. And to be honest, that is still my primary method of organization. So if I've got a folder called Cypress and within it, I've got uh, Novel 1. And within Novel 1, I've got some notes that I think are, are relevant to the story that I want to tell. And the the one or one of the things I took away from the course that we both did was the idea of the atomic note, which was to try and take a short note mm -hmm. that dealt specifically with one item and then make another note for another item. So there was an invasion of Cyprus in 1974. Okay, so paratroopers from Turkey jumped out of planes and you know, war ensued. Now that's a big thing. And inside of that, there are lots of meaningful things that went on. So events that precipitated the invasion, for example. So the Cyprus emergency was something that happened 10 years before. There's a whole load of little things. And so as I was writing a note, I'll, I'll look live. So, right. The first note I wrote, 74. So that's the year. And I put the Wikipedia link of the invasion of Cyprus in there and then wrote a note with just some thoughts. And that led me to write another note called Archbishop Makarios, who was the leader of Greek Cyprus, who was the president, uh, which then led me to write a note called Enosis, which is um, Enosis. Let's not get, <laughs> I've got to be careful, don't get buried. <laughs> Enosis uh, is the... Many, many islands across the Mediterranean are of Greek origin. Mm. And during, I suppose, the 19th and 20th century, there was a, a resurgence of Greek nationalism. And Enosis is union with Greece. So all of these islands becoming part of a sort of bigger Greek heartland and being you know, directly related to Athens, which is, uh, is a lovely idea. Obviously, it's not great if you live on an island that you hitherto thought was independent uh, to be told, oh, actually, no, uh, we, we want to be part of Greece. That's particularly bothersome if you're Turkish and have been at war with Greece for on and off 3,000 years. And Enosis was a, was a huge part of, of the Cyprus situation. So slowly but surely, notes start spawning. And 
I have more and more and more of them. And they link to each other because it's while I'm writing one that I think, oh, yep, you know, Archbishop Macarius's view on it. Oh, that can links back to my note on Archbishop Macarius. But also a key player was Grivas, who was a general. Well, he was actually a colonel, but let's not get technical. So I will then put a couple of square brackets around Grivas, and that means I've now got a note called Grivas. And there I'll, first I'll put his Wikipedia entry, and then I'll put some thoughts about him, some of the key things he was involved. And the whole thing organically grows without me having to say, how do I make a link in everything? Mm-hmm. Now, for Cyprus, for this, this particular thing, I do have a map of content. But only because I was looking at my notes going, oh, hang on, where, where am I going with all this? How does what what am I trying to achieve here apart from understanding the situation? Research for research's sake. Yeah. So then I started pulling together uh, an, a note which I called uh, I think I called it the Cyprus series. Um, so my initial thought was to write write a novel, um, and it became apparent to me that I was going to have to write four or one really long one. <laughs> and so that's become my my map of content, which really is create just creates a framework for research so that I don't end up getting completely lost down a rabbit hole and and I'm not as you say doing research for research's sake interesting interesting I can really see with a project like that where you have research with a goal in mind you know you're looking at something you're spawning the content based on here's an idea where I want to go and I need to research this and I need to research this. I, I could see where this would work really well. You also put in the show notes that you just make observations hmm. and record those. Now that's where I got sort of lost because of all the different, let's call it parts of my life. You know, I've got the jobby job stuff over here. I've got a hobby job stuff over here. You know, all of those different parts are compartmentalized and that was where i was having a hard time understanding and and applying obsidian um and craft or you know any of these linking types of rome you know any of those those software Mm. i was kind of losing it because i was just putting a collection of things in there sure Uh, do you also put non-topic specific observations in there and how do you catalog those well, this came from, um, I suppose it's, it's the, the never-ending challenge of the analog. So my note-taking system predominantly, certainly before COVID, was, was a pocket notebook. And I would always have one with me, and I would take a note. I saw something, or somebody said something, you know, all sorts of reasons something could pop into my head. But also, uh, I would use those notebooks to write a shopping list. Now, those notebooks, for me, all live in Field Notes archive boxes, um, and they're all catalogued in order because, well, you know, I probably need help. (laughs) And whilst I have an unhealthy attachment to that type of thing, ultimately, that's not exactly an indexed, searchable set of notes. Occasionally, I might flick through it. And I suppose... If I look at an average notebook, maybe 90% or more is full of things that I don't need to retain. 
they they are things that if I was being kind to whoever will have to deal with my eventual death, I would destroy them before that that date because there's not really an awful lot to them. But there might be one or two things that would be useful within an archive, you know, to me predominantly. I'm not sure anybody else is going to be interested. And so I've, I've taken to reviewing my notebooks. Now, because of COVID, they, they're, they're mostly A5 now. Mm-hmm. And certain things I put into the system. So an observation that may be relevant to a novel or something that is relevant to a theme that I'm exploring. My, shall we say, personal journaling, no, that that stays in an analog form. And as I say, at some point that will go onto a fire somewhere and that'll be the end of that because I'm not really writing that as an archive. I'm writing that uh, as a as a, a kind of self-care therapy, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And my shopping lists, probably nobody needs those. So um, it's just, uh, again, I'm, I think I'm probably copying Mike Schmitz. I think this is how he does it. I think he does it daily because he's that disciplined sort of chap that he is. But I weekly just flick through my my notebooks for the week and go, is there anything I need to put into Obsidian? And it may well be there's nothing. But occasionally, or usually, there's one or two things. So I just take a note there, and they go into their own uh, little folder system. And it may well be that they, you know, slowly just sort of rot in there. That's okay. So I'm, I'm all right with things rotting in there. But I don't put things in for the sake of it. I put things in because I think, okay, yeah, that might be relevant to a book, a book idea, or to a theme. So the other thing that, that I'm doing now is I've, I've started some studying. And so developing ideas around studying and developing linked thinking around studying, I think that's kind of the point of the studies I'm taking. So there's a, I think there's going to be a real application there so at the moment because i'm studying remotely i have to watch videos uh and me being me i of course take notes and then i have lots of pdfs and 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 books that i take notes from and and putting that all in one place is great it means that even i will struggle to lose it and uh i can review it and i think probably the most important gain for me from this whole system is that it's forced me to put a review time in where I go and say, okay, let me review my notes in whatever form they might be. Uh, because that brings them to the, the front of my mind and helps me filter them and decide what's important, what isn't. Now, I, I, I do have a question because you said there's a, a space where thoughts go to percolate and potentially rot. Hmm. How do you have that organized? And I guess that's, that's part of, me, my, my challenges with, with a system like this is everything seems to, in my mind, need a purpose and a way that, why is it here? And just putting things in like that is kind of like having emails in an inbox. It might just bother me. So I'm just wondering how you get around that. Or is there, is there a way that you can sort of distance the, the, need that we have to organize things with just having these there yeah i mean i think that the language is important so um for me i have a folder called ideas um and within that i have some subfolders 
So um, I'm just, I'm just going to read a couple of them now and see if they make any sense to anyone. Basis for belligerence. There you go. Um, capsule wardrobe. Uh, Devon think. Uh, I'm sure some people will have heard of that. Uh, linking your thinking. Uh, you definitely heard of that. Lord Byron. These are all related, I see. Oh, yes. these, these are fairly random. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, Lord Byron. Why am I writing about Lord Byron? I, I assume, I'm going to assume that the listener knows who Lord Byron uh, was. Um, he, was a, he was a poet. He was, um, I suppose, <laughs> the king of romance in many, many ways. He had several uh, offspring, uh, only one of whom was legitimate. Do you know who that was? That was um, Ada Lovelace, wasn't it? Correct. There we go. <laughs> I heard that just about the time that um, Black Queen brought out the uh, the pencil celebrating Ada Lovelace, who was, you know, I suppose the mother of computing might be one way of describing her. And still now as I say that, it absolutely shocks me. The link between... This, well, I mean, you know, this this guy writing poetry, gadding around uh, Europe, just generally having the time of his life. And, and you know, with big frilly collars and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of various and sundry recent TV shows. Um, and then one generation directly linking to Ada Lovelace and the first computers. It's, it's to me, just blows my mind. And... Another thing I heard, he was um, he was the kind of prototype rock star. Ah, so there were there were a group of people uh, around who were known as the Byron Maniacs. <laughs> I, I could just imagine. I've got the T-shirt. Uh, I was uh, Byron's World Tour, seventeen ninety four. Exactly. So it's just that that's all the note is. It's just a quick note there that I've, I've no idea if I'm ever going to need that whether it's going to, to click with something or not. And it may well be that uh, you know, one day I'll just go, this is pointless, and, and delete it. But I suspect I'll just leave it there to rot. Mm, okay. Hmm. Um, so I think, you know, if, uh, to your point, it's, it's one of those things that if you called it, um, uh, you know, compost heap or, you know, a random pot, then, you know, that might be enough for your mind to go, do you know what, that's that's where I just put things and visit them once a quarter if I feel that way inclined. <laughs> um, you know, you don't feel that you need to to, to organise them because around, around them you have plenty of other folders that are, you know, organised in a more traditional sort of corporate jobby job and project-like way. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that you review, review as part of what you've come up with. Do you review the stuff that's in this this folder or is that just there for when something else connects to it? Um, depends. It really depends on how much time I've got. Um, generally speaking, when I sit down and think, okay, I'm going to review my notes. I'll be my first sort of element is bringing in notes that aren't in obsidian. So I don't typically use obsidian for capture. Uh, I can, there is an iOS app and, you know, I've got a phone in my pocket, but I'm still, you know, much inclined to scribbling a note analog. Um, and so when I'm then 
bringing those in and sort of running the filtering system that naturally takes me into various folders. Um, and then I also make a point of going through my readwise. Yeah, that, that actually is the part that really excites me about what you're doing. The other part I'm still not sure about, but, uh, you know, I, I could see some, some potential uses for it, but I'm not, I'm not sure I have the, the need yet that, you know, the need to go out and develop this system, because that's what it feels like it still is for me. Is it something else that I would need to do? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, to, to see it as a system, um, which let's face it, lots of people are encouraging us to think like that. Uh, it doesn't work for me either. I don't need a system. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and truth be told, none of us need a system. However, capturing my ideas about a series of novels uh, on a sort of specific time in Cypriot history and the research around them, okay, I need somewhere that I can gather thoughts and put notes together. Uh, Obsidian is one place that I can do that. Great, fine. Bringing the book highlights in, fabulous. That's a, that's a really nice service. Um, it's a lot easier than me manually writing out things that have struck me in a book um, or buying all the paperback books and, you know, marking them up and then, you know, trying to find them all again. Because this is all searchable. This is all indexable. This is, you know, got all of those digital advantages. So that, that to me is a great use. For the, the study that I'm doing, the ability to set up uh, a nice folder system, the same as I would anywhere else on my Mac, saying here's all the things relevant to this element of the of the course. Um, here's external reading that I've done. Oh, look, that links to a book that's in my Readwise section. You know, all of that stuff. Great. There's an obvious case for it. I'm not trying to invent a, a solution for a problem that I don't necessarily have. I'm I'm sourcing a solution for a problem that I do have, which is where can I put all this stuff. Um, I don't, I don't particularly think that Obsidian is a million times better than the other options that are out there. I think Craft, lots of people are very excited about Craft. There are lots of people excited about Rome, but they appear to be in some way bearing weapons for Rome. Um, there, there's something a little bit odd about, about that whole thing. I'm not quite sure what that's all about. Sign up and get the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, Notion, you know, lots of people do this type of thing in Notion naturally. DevonThink, I mean, DevonThink is uh, is an old man's archiving system. I mean, that's that's a lovely way to hold all your your stuff together, but it's uh, it's more of a deep archive. Mm -hmm. So uh, you put stuff in there, and it, it's there forever, and you can back it up, and you can find it, you can search it. But if you want to work on it, you kind of pull it out of there, work on it, and then put it back in. Mm. Um, and they're all good, I think. Uh, more of an indexing archive than anything else. It's a good old-fashioned folder archive. That's what it is. It's a big filing cabinet with loads of locks on it. It's great. Mm -hmm. what? Interesting. Um, are you used to, how do I say this nicely, uh, without sounding like a, an Apple snob? I'm an Apple snob, I'll admit it. Um, the Electron interface for Obsidian. Um, it's not pretty. Does, does that grow on you at all? Uh, does it grow on you? Uh, it works best uh, on your MacBook Pro 13-inch, filling the screen. Uh, there's a million and one themes you can get, and you can get a theme that will please your eye and and take away a little from 
uh, some of the electroniness of it. Um, and you can do little tricks like full screen and change your toolbars and that sort of stuff. And it just becomes, it becomes a piece of paper and a typewriter, which appeals to me. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I think part of it is it's just so busy. Mm -hmm. You know, the default layouts with all of the, all of the little windows to it, mm -hmm. that it's almost distracting. Sure. And, and I haven't spent enough time trying to figure it out as a, as a place to write. I just, honestly, I use uh, Bear for a lot of my writing. Mm -hmm. uh, I use drafts for capture and for a lot of my quick notes for my notes that are a little bit longer lived there. Use Bear, which is a, a wonderful Mac app, Mac and iOS app. But uh, yeah, I've, I've kind of stuck with that just because it feels right. The advantages to Obsidian are the linking, and I'm not quite sure I have the use case for it. As I say, I put in a lot of my content originally, and it just seemed to be a group of different things. And that didn't really solve any of the problems that... I, I thought I was just creating complexity for the sake of creating complexity. Yeah. And uh, I'm still struggling with the, you know, I think if I got into a research type of thing, you know, whether, and maybe this is just my time of life at the moment with everything that's going on, um, taking my time away, you know, I'm heavily focused on just getting through the day rather than uh, building up another creative sort of endeavor or developing a book idea or sure. anything weird like that. Sure. And I, th I think certainly if I was going to be doing research for something like that, it would be an excellent tool uh, just for my daily notes. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at it again because of, you know, how you're doing it and how you're sort of resurfacing the notes and linking them, just letting them exist and see if there's anything in that to me. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. Well, I mean, I'll tell you one, I'll give you a sample project. I mean, I appreciate you, you've got plenty of your own. But one that I started working on was um, I created a folder called Digital Work. Mm. And really where this was coming from was what you touched on earlier was um, about contextual computing uh, and also for me, uh, digital minimalism in terms of, you know, do I really need to go and buy a new machine for this, a new machine for that, a new machine for that. Just sort of looking at how I use these digital tools. And so I first wrote a note on digital minimalism, which was just my thoughts around it, um, and kind of explaining to myself where I was. So um, I'll, I'll just read the first few lines to you. So uh, Amanda wrote to me, bemoaning the amount of stuff that I consume. Um, she'd, she'd listened to this podcast, actually. <laughs> she was amazed at the amount of stuff that you and I were going through. Um, and, I wrote, <laughs> and I wrote, she has a point. As I write, I have an iPad Pro, and I've, I've, <laughs> I've got all old man about that and then put IPP in brackets because that's how I'm going to refer to it later in the document. And then I've put square brackets around it, so I've got another thing. And an iPad mini, same process. I'm typing on a Mac mini and I have... A, and so just in that paragraph, I've created an iPad Pro Note, an iPad mini, um, a Mac mini, a MacBook Air, an iPhone 10, an iPhone 13 mini page. So I've created other notes there. And I've, I've really just written a note to myself, if you like, a letter to myself saying, that's a lot of computing power. I have every intention of buying an iMac, again in square brackets, when it's released. Realistically, how much computing power 
do I need? Okay, so I've been working through this and created a whole load of notes. And then I will go to my iPad Pro page. So, okay, what am I actually going to use this for? You know, in my perfect world, what am I going to use this for? Or what do I use it for now? And I start writing there. And then I go to my Mac Mini and create this sort of contextual computing. And that's where I think that sort of little, I can do a local map, very exciting, lots of dots with lines, um, <laughs> for, for that digital work folder. And I can see how my thinking is developing. And I can see where it's going to. And the real impact of this is that I haven't been jumping up and down and screaming at Apple saying, how difficult is it to get an iPad third, sorry, an iPhone 13 to me? How difficult is it to get an iPad mini to me? Because I've got these on order since October last year. And they're not here. <laughs> I guess they're not coming. I don't know. Um, but do you know what? I don't need them. And it's through writing these notes that I've I've come to that realization. I'm being a little more mindful and a little bit more intentional about my sort of <laughs> um, my my consumption of electronic goods. So that's a, a sort of example project where you can see how it goes. And I did it, I think, in some way as practice of forcing myself to go where where I write something like dual workstations. I've written, I thought, okay, actually, I want to explore your workstations a bit more. So I'm just going to put some brackets around that. And that creates a note for me. And then I go and write the note on Jill. And so what would undoubtedly have been a big rambling paragraph, as evidenced by my, my speaking in this podcast, um, has become, you know, 10 files within a folder that I can go back and, and see what I think about and what I feel about them. And many of the things that I wrote in those folders are now my reality. That's why my computer is where it is. And that's why my MacBook is where it is. And that's why I haven't uh, gone out and got a new phone and a, and a new iPad. Huh. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with your self-control. It won't last. <laughs> Using this tool to talk yourself out of it. <laughs> See, I'm looking at this and the, the, the thing that comes to my mind is oh, why could I use a shiny new M1 Pro Max, you know, <laughs> spec'd out? And that that would become the reason for me if I went through and wrote that note of justifying why I need to spend another five or $6,000 on a new laptop when I have two perfectly good ones set. <laughs> just, just fine for what I need. I mean, this is, this is how I end up with a $9,000 monitor, Stu. Well, I, th I think if you're anything like me, you can talk yourself into anything, but in writing, it's harder to fool yourself. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good for <laughs> justifying any of my decisions. Hey, I'm married. I've got years of practice of justifying what I do. <laughs> well, that I, like I say, me writing it down just made me think just, it, it was enough, um, what do they suggest? People suggest that, you know, before you buy anything, you, you wait a week or something, you know, and, and just that, <laughs> that extra time of thinking about it. Do I really need it? Do, do I actually? Um, yeah, it's, it's working for me, but as I say, I wouldn't rule out that when this new shiny iMac comes, uh, with all the wonderful marketing and hyperbole that Apple can throw at it, 
then there'll be a part of me going, well, one computer to rule them all. That's probably a good idea. That's minimalism, isn't it? Spend spend ten thousand dollars <laughs> and and throw everything else in the bin. It'll be fine. One computer to rule them all for a year until the next one comes out. Exactly. And you see, if I start writing a note, those are the things that I'll write in the note. Mm. And I'll go, hmm, maybe I don't need a shiny new iMac. Oh, well, see, my, my justification would be, well, if I buy this one, I don't have to get the next one. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how semantics, you could just change that. Well, maybe, maybe you just have to share the note with me and I give you a commentary back saying, Justin, <laughs> now, now, Justin, you know, this isn't true. <laughs> I was funny, actually, when you were talking about um, having your, your field notes archived and you have shopping lists in those. And all I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I'm hearing the word scream. It's evidence. Get rid of them, Stu. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, crazy stuff. So you, you definitely have a good system for using this and, and developing your, your notes and your thinking using it as a, well, I wouldn't say capture device, but a refined capture device and, and going from there. I may, I may have to go through this, um, exercise and, and blame Stu of trying to do the technology side, which, uh, I'm not sure I want to do Stu. <laughs> I did an article on my website, uh, a little while ago about technology that I'm have on my desk and. It's actually really pathetic when you actually look at everything that is on my desk and uh, kind of how unnecessary most of it is. Sure. I've got a few of those in the draft folder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I'll have to put a link in for that uh, so that everybody can see what I'm actually rocking in terms of hardware and accessories and accoutrements and all that stuff. Uh, just in case anybody wants to look at, uh, well, apart from Amanda, because Amanda will then just have to send me a, <laughs> a link complaining about all the junk that I have too. As, as ever with Amanda, she's very, very gentle and very, very kind. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Interesting. So yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a, an exercise for me to try my computer. Hmm. <laughs> you sound less than convinced. Give it a go. It will do you no harm. All right. I will try this this week, hopefully and uh, report back there we go homework for justin oh boy thanks Stu. you're welcome you've got nothing else on <laughs> ah, yeah what the heck i had a night off last night it was uh Ooh. weird and uh my wife ended up uh, taking me out grocery shopping because i said hey i have a whole night with nothing to do and she said oh good let's go do some chores there you which was certainly not quite the way i had this uh intended but you know hey it was all right life in the fast lane justin <laughs> god my life anyway uh any takeaways from this one Stu? uh sure yeah i mean look obsidian rome craft notion uh, there's a whole load of apps in this uh space and i've missed plenty you know good notes or all, all sorts i imagine they're all pretty good in their own way uh for me backup portability and encryption were really, really important to me. Those were the three things that, that pushed me towards Obsidian, largely led by uh, the mighty Max Barkey. So Obsidian is really good at these. If interface is more your thing, then, you know, as Justin was saying, you probably want to be looking at Craft, which is a very, very pretty app. But 
have a try. Don't have a try for having a try's sake. If you think that having a space where you can put together your thoughts around a subject or a project would be useful to you, go looking. Otherwise, just carry on with your life. (laughs) Don't create a system for a system's sake. And I think that is sort of my takeaway on this one. I kind of jumped into Obsidian early, played with a little bit, and realized that it's kind of new and shiny. These these types of programs are getting a lot of tech press at the moment. You know, everybody's talking about them. Everybody's using them. And I decided that I didn't have an application for them, and that's okay. I don't have to use it. I can continue to use my standard tools that work just well enough for what I need. And sometimes it's okay to be behind the times, um, even though I may not come to the same conclusion when I do an analysis of uh, what my computer needs are. Um, But I'm okay not linking my thinking and and going through this whole backlink process. I'd like to try it, but I don't need it. And, you know, sometimes that's okay. Very cool. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, You can find me most of the time at stuartlennon.com or nerosnotes.co.uk. Or you can find me on the Twitter machine at Stu Lennon. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, it's been pretty quiet on the interwebs for me lately. Um, StationaryAdjacent.com, you can find links to everything that I do. Uh, JustinTwyfer.com hasn't been updated for a few weeks. uh, But, you know, after Christmas, got some deadlines at work. We'll get through those and hopefully we'll get there. If you want to reach out to me, you can also Twitter me, JJ Twyford. And please feel free to email us, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Uh, please like and review us in your podcast catcher of choice. We really appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues to help grow the show. Our next topic is going to be good enough. How to avoid the perfection trap. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, sir.